Well, hey, welcome. If you're here for the first time, uh, you came at a great time. We're starting a new series, and it's in the book of Exodus. So if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Exodus. I'd love for you to see it so that it's right there in front of you. And I asked the question last week, I asked the question, how are you living in the blessing of God? Because there's basically two ways to live in the blessing of God. One is out of surplus and the other is out of deficit. When you see the, the blessing of God and you live in that blessing and you see it as more than enough for your life, that you see his love and you receive his presence in your life and his protection and his provision, that you're thankful and you're grateful for everything he's done. And you live out of that. It really doesn't matter as we looked in the life of Joseph. It doesn't matter what you go through, uh, the, the roller coaster highs or the, the plunges beneath that and into the depths. You can live out of that surplus as Joseph did. There's another predominant thought, and that is God's not giving me what I, I want, and he's not doing what I want him to do. It's not happening for me, and to, to live like that is out of deficit, where you're more discontent with what God has already given you, and you see for, for all the things as you compare your life to people around you of what you're not, what you don't have that you want. And we ask that question on the deficit, why do you think you have that deficit? That's the story I want to talk about today as we look at the life of Moses, because I believe one of the key reasons for our deficit is the story behind us. There's two stories, as I have talked to people, there's two narratives that go on when they talk about their past. The first one is this, look what I've accomplished, look at where I'm at, look at what I've done. This is one more of personal exaltation. You kind of look at what you have and you look at everything in your past as this was awesome and look at who I have. And you think that that might qualify you for more of what God wants to call you into. But there's another group. And I would say this is the predominant group. And this is the group of humiliation when they look at their past. They see all their failures, all their shortcomings, all their missteps, all their frustrations, and all the things that didn't happen for them. And some of them even point their finger, if that wouldn't have happened, I would be so much better here. How many of us go through the week and we think, if just that didn't happen, my life would have been so much better? That story behind you has a force and a power that is real. And if we were open and honest and we could go there with every one of you, we would hear that. We would hear that predominant perspective of, my goodness, the story behind me. Don't let anyone know about that. Hide that. Or this, if this would have happened, I'd be so much better now. Well, the life of Moses is a story behind him that I think can give us perspective today, especially as we think about what's God doing in our lives today. And this series, Behind and Before, God was trying to rescue his people out of Egypt. And he was going to move them into the promised land. So he was the God who wanted to show them, I was the God behind you, and I'm the God before you, leading into the place where I want you to be. And I think he is that to us today. I know that. I believe that. That the God, the story behind you is, is actually God at work, even in the limitations, even in your failures, even in your frustration, that God behind you is going to move you and he's going to lead you to where he wants you to be if you're willing to follow him. And Fellowship Bible Church is here to help people find and follow Jesus Christ. And so this is a message for you to follow him. And this story behind Moses is uh, the difference between Genesis and Exodus. If you look at your Bible, if it's in Genesis or Exodus chapter 1 right now, the difference in years between Genesis 50 and Exodus 1 is 400 years. 
And at the end of Genesis, we leave Jacob in Egypt. Joseph is providing for him. There's 70 of his descendants there. In the beginning of Exodus, that group of Israelites grew to millions, millions. Matter of fact, it says this in Exodus chapter 1, verse 7. It says, but the people of Israel were fruitful, and they increased greatly. They multiplied, and they grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Just pause about that. So here's Egypt, this superpower, and very super prideful. If you look at their history and their, the cuneiform writing that they wrote with, the hieroglyphics and all that, you can see they, they took pride in who they were as a nation. They were the superpower. They were the it of all countries in the world at that time. This is around 1500 BC. And so you have this, this mega power there and And yet you have a group of people who are rising up and who are growing and expanding and they're not, they're not in the, in the power places. And so the people in power got afraid. They got scared and they started, they started saying, Oh my goodness, what's going to happen if we lose control? What if another nation challenges us and that group of people joins them? We'll lose our, our, our strength. We'll lose our authority. We'll lose. We'll lose. So here's what we'll do. Pharaoh, who literally means, who literally means great house, if you were to interpret that word, great house. And you know, when we think about the president sometime in the U.S., we talk about the White House. The White House gave a a proclamation today. That was Egypt's White House. It was the great house of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh really fed on this, that the Egyptians were dread, were in dread of the people of Israel. That dread Caused him to pass legislation and to command legislation. First of all, let's strip them of their rights and make them slaves for us. Secondly, let's stop them growing. And so here's what they said to their doctors or midwives who would help Jewish women deliver children. They said, you can keep the girls, but the boys you must kill. Isn't that something? And they, the, the midwives refused. God honored them and rewarded them, but Pharaoh just grew more and more frustrated and he ultimately passed legislation so that any Egyptian who saw an infant uh, Jewish boy could throw them into the Nile. Think about this. After putting the people into concentration camps and killing their male children to try to do this, even with those, the children of Israel continued, continued to grow. So now the scripture moves towards the it kind of the, the camera of scripture moves in and it zooms in on one family. We aren't even told their names. It's a husband and wife, a Jewish family, and they're of the tribe of Levi and they have a son and they're afraid. They're concerned. What do we do with this son? And so they took this child and they put him in a basket and they waterproofed that basket and they floated him on the Nile and they had their daughter watch, watch her brother as he floated away. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what this may have looked like as a parent putting your child into a basket and floating him away? It just so happened that Pharaoh's daughter was bathing in the Nile. Now, it just so happened is code for God has a sovereign plan, Right? <laughs> It just so happened that she, was do, that she was doing that. And she noticed a basket floating. Baskets don't float. And so she commanded one of her servant women to go and grab that basket. They opened it up and the baby was crying. And it's, she had a response very much like your children would have if, if they saw a little puppy on the side of the road. And they said, puppy, can we take him home? Okay. That's exactly the emotions that went through her mind. But again, 
she couldn't nurse this child who was just an infant. Enter Moses's sister who was watching all along and said, hey, do you want someone to nurse that? I know a woman who could do that. My mom, don't say it. And so <laughs> Moses would be raised in his family and weaned as a child. And as soon as he was weaned, Pharaoh's daughter said, bring him back because I'm going to educate him. I'm gonna, he's going to ra- be raised in this royal family. And so here you have a, this Jewish boy that was destined for death. And he was literally drawn out of that place of destruction called the Nile. And that's exactly what she named him. She named him Moses because that name literally means I drew him out of the water. That would be the theme of his life, drawn out and into something that God would have for him. So Moses grows up, his first 40 years are in Egypt. And he was educated, he was instructed, he was trained as an Egyptian. Yet as much of Egypt as they tried to put into him, they couldn't take the Israel out of him. And one day he was looking at the injustice of his people and his heart was crushed as he saw an Egyptian slave master beating and abusing a Jewish man and he looked to the left and he looked to the right and he went out and he killed that Egyptian and they buried him in the sand. He didn't think anyone would see it. Until the next day when he was out and he saw two Jewish men fighting and he said, stop it, you guys are brothers. And and the, the Jewish man said, what, are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? The story got out. And it wasn't long before he was one of Egypt's most wanted men. And he runs, he runs, he goes and he leaves uh, Egypt. And for the next 40 years, he's in this place called Midian. Midian didn't have any any cities because it was nomadic. People lived in tents. They were sojourners. They would just live off the land, raising their sheep and goats wherever the land would provide. They were always on the move. They were always on the run. And it was in this place that he met a man named Jethro. He married Jethro's, not Jethro Bodine from the Beverly Hillbillies, Jethro, who, who, who had a daughter named Zipporah, whom he, whom he married, and he started to have a family. His firstborn son, Gershom, Gershom literally means wanderer. That's his life at the time. He's a wanderer. For the next 40 years, 40 years, he he continues to grow. From 40 to 80, he lives as a nobody in this land. And it says after, after he was in Midian for some time that the pharaoh of Egypt died, forgot about it, and the people cried out. And it says that God heard their groaning, And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. If you're ever going through a difficult time, and you're wondering, God, where are you? I don't feel you're in my life. I certainly don't see you working in my life that I can tell. I want you to remember this passage, because this comforts my soul and my heart when I wonder what God is up to, when I feel that I'm on the sidelines, when I feel ineffective as a leader, when I feel helpless in a difficult situation, God hears us when we pray. God hears us when we cry out to him. He heard their groaning. He remembered his promise, his covenant, and he saw what they were going through, and he knew. That word knew in the Hebrew is one of the most intimate relational words that's out there. Most of the time, When someone knows someone, it has to do with sexual relations. And what God is saying here is that he knew them so well. He knew them into the depth of who they were. He knew. 
And so as this story continues, now Moses is out tending this flock, sometime at the later 40 years that he was in Midian, and he sees something that drew him in. It was a burning bush. And he wondered, what in the world? It's not being consumed. And so he draw near, draws near. And isn't it interesting how God uses our curiosity and in us when we're curious to perhaps get to know him in a unique way? And sure enough, what would you do if you saw a burning bush and it wasn't being consumed? There was no smoke coming from it, but there was fire all around it. He drew near and he heard these words, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am, here I am. The voice said, take off your shoes. The ground you're standing on is holy. He took off his sandals. And, and then the voice started talking to him, and he knew it was the Lord. And the Lord said to him this, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them up out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land into a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now this must have comforted Moses. Think about it. He saw the injustices that were happening to his people, and when he tried to act out on it, it, it he took things into his own hands, and he killed him, and he killed the person, and, and runs for as a as a murderer, and runs for his life. No one's listening to him. He's wondering, God, what are you doing? And God says, I've heard it, and I'm going to come down to redeem them. I'm going to deliver them out of that land, and I remembered my covenant, and they're going to go into that land that I promised Abraham to have. And then God says this, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Thud. They hit like a bag of bricks in the life of Moses because he was okay if God was going to do it. But he wondered, you're going to use me to do it? How many of you have ever felt that? God, you want me to do what? What in the world are you talking about, Willis? I mean, we can, we can put that pushback to God, that he would, he, he would ask us, to. why do we say no? Why do we hesitate? Why do we say, no, not me? We're going to see. Look at Moses' response. His first response is this in his story. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out, out of Egypt? Big question. Who am I? Do you realize... Do you realize that you ask that question of yourself at least 50 times a day? Who am I? When you walk in a room, does anyone see me? Am I important? Do I matter? Uh, what will they think if I say this? How many times do you think that? You're asking that question, who I am. And it has to do with our lack of identity. My goodness, Moses felt his lack of identity. Think about this, a Jewish child being found by an Egyptian, rescued from death to life, but, but raised as an Egyptian and in this, in this group of people that were just super prideful of their own heritage and yet looked down on people just like him. Boy, if you've ever had prejudice in your life, if you've ever looked down upon because of your race or nationality, you're connecting with some of the feelings that Moses Moses dealt with. I, I'm here, but I'm not one of them. And they were out to get your people. He felt his life was compromised. But then when you look at even him fleeing for his life and going and living in Midian, which is a no place for nobodies, that's where he was. And he wondered, who am I here? God, what are you doing there? Our lack of identity, it transcends 
pretty much every other issue that we deal with in our lives today. Who am I? We ask that question. And God says this. God says this. He says, I'll be with you, Moses. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, what does this say to Moses about who he is? Well, that, that mountain that God was talking about here was the mountain that God was appearing to him. It's called Mount Horeb, but later it would become Mount Sinai. And if you've read Genesis or Exodus, Leviticus, or Numbers or Deuteronomy, the books of Moses, you will find this is the place that God revealed his word, his law to Moses. It would be the place where Moses worshipped and received God's revelation that he would lead his people with. And God is saying, look, you're going to come back here, but you're going to come back of a leader of millions of people who will be rescued out of the hands of the Egyptians. This is going to be a sign for it. Look forward to this time. I'm the God behind you and the God before you. And he's ultimately telling Moses it's not about who he is. It's about who his heavenly father is. Folks, we need to realize this in our lives when we are following Jesus, that you're not your own. You're not your own. And there's so many different identifiers. There's a sea of red in our, in our room right now of Chiefs fans, okay? And I will tell you that, that ultimately uh, the, the outcome of this game cannot determine who you are. And I know, I hope you believe that. I really do. And I just know that as a man who's been tried through fire being a Packer fan, okay? I know what it's like to find some identity and pride in a team. That when they lost, I really lost nothing with Jesus. But I felt a huge loss. And I'm not proud of it. I'm not. But, but that's just a small thing. There's so many things else that we can use to define ourselves. Our incomes, our house, our, our employment position, our, our family situation, the things that have worked out for us or the things that have not worked out. And we can either view ourselves as success or failure. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, at the end of that chapter, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. And that applies to how we behave with our lives. It also applies to how we see ourselves in the hand of God. When you come to God and you receive the identity he gives you, a beloved child. That's who you are. I'm 56 years old. I'm still a beloved child of God. It's my first calling. That's how God calls us out of this world. Just as he drew Moses out of the Nile, he drives, drives, uh, you know, draws us out of sin and into salvation. And we're to live that. And we're to realize this life cannot be about me. It's not even how you view me that should matter in my life. It's who I am in Christ. That's powerful. That's extremely transformational in our walk is to know that if you put your faith in Christ, you're his. You're his. You're not your own. You're his. Second, Moses asked the question. If I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? What should I say to him? This is the second thing. First thing Moses said was, who am I that you should do that I should go? Here, Moses is saying, and, and who are you again? <laughs> who are you again? Our view of God is so important in our willingness to follow him. And here, it was a lack of authority. Uh, God, I need more authority. And who are you again? Who can I say? What's the code word to say that you're the God over them? And ultimately, it would be 
Moses' own response to who are you again that I should follow you and be used in this place? So God answers him. He says, say this to the people of Israel. I am sent me to you. The I am. The I am. That's God's name. Jesus would use this name when he was asked in Nazareth, who is he? And he would say, I tell, I am, I am. The I am is here. And they knew that was code word for God. And so they sought to kill him immediately when they said that. Jews know even now what this means. When you say the I am, it's the eternally existent God. There never was a time when he wasn't. There'll never be a time when he isn't. He is in everything and all things exist for him. He is the great it. He is the I am. But not only did God show him who he was, he also told him what he'd do. Look at verse 20 of chapter 3. So I will stretch out my hand and I will strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, Pharaoh will let you go. Certainly on one side, he's going to say, following me is not easy. There'll be resistance. Pharaoh's heart is going to harden. But ultimately, when you leave Egypt on the night that I deliver you, here's what's going to happen. Your women will look around the homes of the people that they serve, that they're slaves in right now, and they'll ask them for whatever they want, and they'll say, sure, take it, just get out. And you'll have so many possessions that your kids will have to carry it out with you. So you picture, when Moses saw that, he probably did a major you know, rewind to this, this statement by God and said, yep, God was in this, God was in this. He was going to provide for them. They wouldn't just escape. God literally would say they would plunder the Egyptians because of this. And God was showing them this, that the God before you is the God behind you. The God who's calling you, Moses, to this work to go and deliver the people out of Egypt was the God who was with you when you were born, when you were placed in the Nile, when you were drawn out of the Nile, when you were raised in an Egyptian family, not really knowing what the Jewish family was all about, and when you stood for justice with, the Jewish, with your Jewish family, and you ran, and you became a nobody. I was with you there. I was with you all along, and I brought you to a place and a time for such a time as this. Moses, remember, the God before you, who's going to move you into this, was the God who's been there all along. By the way, I think this gives us permission as you read the scriptures here in this narrative that God can handle our questions. And it's good to ask God questions when there's things happening in the world or in your life that you don't understand. Moses asked this question, who am I? Who are you? God loves those questions, much like Much like if you're a parent raising a young child and they go through an identity crisis and they go, just tell me who I am. Where do I stand with you? Do you know every child wants to know where they stand with their parent? Because their perception of where they stand with you will be absorbed into the view of themselves, the perception of their identity. It's so important for us as parents. And your heavenly father has the same desire to show you more of who he is. And to affirm you in who he created you to be. Because the God before you is the God behind you. And then Moses has this other pushback. Look what he says. But behold, God, they, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Okay, so here is a lack of trust. 
And, and what he meant by this is people don't trust me back in Egypt. And I don't feel if I spoke for you, I mean, based on my past history, they're not going to believe me. And sometimes, sometimes when you think of this, you ask the question when God is prompting you to do something in your life or God's asking you to speak out or stand out, then the world around you, that, that you're going to go, they won't listen, they won't believe. And, and what God is going to show him is you just trust me, man. You just trust me. And you let me work. So God asked Moses to trust him in some key areas. He saw that Moses had a staff in his hand. And that was the staff that he used to raise sheep and lead the goats all throughout Midian. And he said, throw that staff down. Throw that staff on the ground. And when he did, it became a snake. Okay, Moses did what I do when I see a snake. I freak out. I pull back. I don't go, oh, isn't that cute? Can we keep it? I don't do that. I know some of you have bow constrictors in your garage. God bless you. Don't invite me over. Just don't. I'm, I'm never going to like the snake. So he repels from that. And God says, now pick up the snake from the tail. And if you're a snake handler, that's not my denomination, okay? But a snake, you never pick up a snake by the tail. You'll get bit. But he obeys the authority of God. And when he does, it returns back to his staff. Why? This just seems so weird. Why would God do something like this? Until even you look at more recent, that is within the 19th century, archaeological evidence of the mask of Tutankhamun, Pharaoh of Egypt at a different time than Moses, but, but he had the icon of Egypt right there. Do you see right above his brow? That's a snake. It's a cobra, okay? And that was the image, just like the U.S. has an eagle. That was their image in Egypt. And God said, look, I will take that snake called Egypt, and I will, I will control them. I will take them. I will defeat them. I will, I will deliver my people through you. And I'm not going to give you, Moses, a scepter because that's what Pharaoh has. I'm going to give you a staff. And it's going to be my staff for you. Follow me with that staff. And that staff that he raised for 40 years, all those sheep and goats, he would use to move the people of Israel out of Egypt. But God didn't just give him this. He said, and put your hand in your, in your robe or your cloak. And he put his hand in his cloak. He says, now pull it out. And it turned leprous. Now, leprosy is a disease that's more neurological in that it deadens your nerves on the extremities of your, like your toes and your hands and your fingers so that you no longer feel pain. Think about just calluses on there or the feeling of calluses. And since like today in India, there's leper colonies where when you're struck with that, most of the women cook on an open flame. And where our hands that have feeling, we'd pull back when it gets too hot they smell their flesh burning before they pull back. And what it does is it leaves the hands just gnarled. And I remember going to India and going to a leper colony and worshiping with those survivors of leprosy. And one of the most moving moments of my trip was when they raised their hands in worship to the Lord with just nubs. And I saw them with grateful hearts and it broke my heart. In in Israel, if you had leprosy, you were taken and quarantined from the people. You, were, you had a life of, that was away from it. And what God was saying is, Moses, I've moved you from a place where you may have felt like leprosy, and I brought you back in, brought you right back in, 
Because as he put his hand back into his cloak and pulled it out, that God was showing him that he would heal him of all his diseases, of all his limitations, of all his failures. He would show him that as he restored his hand. At any time, he could do that. And then God said, thirdly, take some water from the Nile. Remember, he could do that with the staff, and he could do that with his robe any time. But here, he had to follow God and go back to the Nile. And when he picked up that Nile water, and he threw it on the ground, it would turn as blood. And what this was, again, a judgment against is, here's the Nile River, and you can see in the distance all the sand dunes. It's literally water flowing from the south of Africa to the north of Africa, and it flourished Egypt. It was the water. It was seen as life. They worshipped the Nile because it brought them prosperity. And God was saying, their wealth, their God, is, is not me. And I will, I will turn that as a curse to them. And so Moses would be, remind them, and you'll see this in the plagues, where he takes Nile, a river water, and pours it out and it becomes as blood. He's showing them. God is showing them. You can trust me. You can follow me. Because ultimately, it's not what other people think of you. I'm just going to use you and speak through you. See, the God behind you has the power for the work before you. How is this going to happen? How are people going to believe? How are people going to follow? We have to realize it's not our strength. It's not our power that will be persuasive. It's It's the power of God, which is why when Jesus sent out his disciples, he said this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We don't have a staff and we don't have a robe. We have the Holy Spirit in us if you put your faith in Christ. And he will will move in you and he will change the hearts of people. You with your persuasive words, you as a good debater, you're not going to change the heart. It's going to be the Holy Spirit in the lives of people to be a witness here as they were called Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Because we have a power from God. The power of the God before you is the God within you. Okay? So Moses then goes, and he says his own limitations. Look at this. He says, I'm not eloquent either in past or since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and of tongue. We aren't really told what this actually meant to him in the scriptures, and so we have to kind of decipher. This could have been he didn't really know how to speak Egyptian, and he may have failed out on all those language courses, or maybe he didn't really have Hebrew down, that he could talk to his people in Hebrew, Um, but ultimately it meant, I'm out, I'm out, I can't. How many times do you put a lack of ability in the face of God when he asks you to do something? I can't. If you're a parent, that's one of the number one phrases you hear from your child. I can't. I have one of the greatest videos of my oldest child going through, and I said, James, count to 1 to 20. And I have right around 13, he goes, I can't. I can't. We hear that so much. And I can't before a heavenly father. Melts the heart of our heavenly father to show you that he can. It's not what you can or can't do. It's what he can do. And if you're going to be a person of faith, and we have to trust in the strength of our Heavenly Father, and we have to realize that He's going to work through us. Just to show you, what one of my greatest lack of abilities was the ability to speak in front of people. 
That may amaze you now, but I'll tell you, there was a time when I had the Bible before me where I was so nervous, I was sweating bullets, and it, the, the sweat was pooling on the Bible. That's how I know in an, on an old Bible which ones I preached. I had a pool of you know, dried sweat on my Bible, discoloring the pages. And my friends who saw me doing that would go, oh my goodness, what's happening to Joe? He's melting, he's melting. And I would stammer, and I don't stammer. I, I just, all of the worst of me came out during that. And I remember, I said, I don't want to preach anymore. And then I had a mentor in my life who came alongside of me. And he said, Joe, who don't you sweat with when you speak to? And I said, high schoolers. And I went into high school ministry. And I didn't sweat. <laughs> and I learned how to speak. And guess what happened to the high schoolers? They grew up. They became adults. See, 30 years ago, I probably could never imagine myself in a room like this. But 30 years ago, you were all 10. (laughs) You grew up. You grew up. And so it's easier for me to do this. Just trusting God in the small places with places that don't freak you out. Build you to rely on God's ability. To this day, before I get and preach, I go, God, these are not my words. They've got to be your words. This is not my power. This is not my ability. I'm thankful for the gifts you've given me, but Lord, what needs to happen in the hearts of people, I cannot do, so I trust your ability. That's why God said to Moses, he says, who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf, limited, seeing or Blind, limited, is not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you shall speak. That's a good one to pray when you think about a limitation. Lord, I don't know how to do this one, but I know you can. You need to know that you're not, but he is. This whole picture of of our weaknesses, that you have to have qualifications before you have permission, God is saying, No, you just need to trust me. What God is saying to Moses is the God before you gives purpose to your weakness in you. See, what you don't want is someone so confident in their abilities that they think they know what God is saying and they speak their will rather than the will of God into your life. That's a threat before God. He'd much rather have someone who goes, I don't know how to do this. He goes, good, because that's how I operate. Do you realize you come to God in weakness? You come to God in, in faith. You don't say, here, God, I can save myself. I'm just being a good person. I'm coming to church, being a nice person. My good deeds outweigh my bad weeks this week. I mean, that's, we don't come in strength. We come in weakness before God. And that's, weakness is the platform for the greatness of God. That's why Paul, as talented as the dude was, He had what he called a thorn in his flesh. Some people think it was depression. Some people think it was a literal issue, an internal health issue. Some people thought it was a speech impediment. But this is what he said. He prayed three times, really fervently. God, take it away. God, take it away. God, take it away. But God said to him, God actually had to speak to him and say, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And when Paul finally saw that the power of God didn't depend on his ability, God could do greater things and literally did greater things than he could have ever done his own agenda. Remember, you have a heavenly father who's working in you, flaws and all, to bring about his greatness.
So here's the last one that he says. He says, oh, Lord, please send someone else. (laughs) I like that one. It's like, who am I? Who are you? But they, they won't. But I can't. I won't. Have you ever been there with God? I won't. I know you're asking me to do this. I know this is the right thing. I know this is a good thing. I know this is your way. No. At this point, God doesn't lose it because Moses is still alive. But the anger of God burned against him. That's not a place I want to be. And God said, when he failed to take responsibility, and what I mean is that I'll be a part of the work of God. Not I'll do it and I'll be it. I'll, I'll trust God and take that next step, whatever that's going to look like. God says to him, okay, it won't just be with you then. I'll bring Aaron, your brother, and I'll call him back in. And, and you shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and his mouth and will teach you both what to do. Here, God says, okay, if you don't have the faith on your own, I'll bring Aaron in, your brother, your long-lost brother. He brought him back to his family, and he then used him for his people. Why? Because God, that God before you redeems the life behind you. This God is going to redeem Moses, and he's going to redeem his people with the hand of Moses. See, because this is the key lesson of the day. God never wastes the story behind you. The accident, the failure, the breakup, the the misstep, the the depression, whatever it was in your back story or is in your present story, he never wastes the story behind you. I've heard different scholars talk about the life of Moses. He lived for 120 years. 120 years. His first 40 were in Egypt trying to become something. His second 40 was in Midian learning to become nothing. And his final 40 was taking the children of Israel out of Egypt into getting ready for the promised land, making God everything. Because that's the goal of our lives is to make my life about everything about God and little about me. And if you're going to be used by that, you're going to have a very similar conversation with God that Moses had with him. You will, because I deal with that. And if you're going to continue to follow him, there will be things you put up. Who am I to do that? Who are you to do that? But they won't. It, but I can't, and I won't. You'll use all those excuses to be used of God, but don't listen to them. Process them with God and accept his invitation to be used. And when Moses did, look what it says. Last verse in chapter 4. It says, and the people believed when he spoke. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Man, I was just reading this, knowing everything I know about the story of uh, Moses and story of the Israelites in Egypt. And I was, I was emotionally broke when I read this because I think about all the years of slavery and all the trials and all the hurt and all the pain and they heard God's coming for us. God's going to rescue us out of this. God's going to redeem us. And they believed God and they worshiped him. That's where you want to be. You want to be instrument of God that God uses to help others believe and others worship 
which we always try to put before you, that your life can't just be about yourself. The grace that you receive from God can't just dead end in you. It has to move out from you into others so that he can use you so that others might believe and others might worship. That's God's plan. So as we close, can you just stand with me? And in a posture right now, just to thinking through all the things, all the pushback that Moses gave to God, whether it's identity, authority, trust, ability, or responsibility. Is there anything that God spoke to you today and said, that's me? That's me. I just need to confess that before him. Do that right now in a moment of quietness. Just say, God, that's me. Show me who you are. Show me who I am in your hands. And I'll follow. Give him your heart right now as you do that. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Where you drew us away from the world and into a place where we can gather around your word and we can hear from it and we can hear you speak to us. And Lord, you see everything in us. You know everything about us and you choose to love us anyway. And so as your children, as those who are called out of this world and into your plan, into your family, may we be people who say yes to you. Even before we fully understand it, so that as we follow you and take that next step with us, our faith would deepen and Jesus would become greater on earth as he is in heaven. It's in his name and it's for his glory that we live, we pray. Amen.